How can schools overcome the current challenges and use those opportunities to innovate? If anyone knows the answer to this question, it would be Tom Vanderark. As the CEO of Getting Smart, he has visited thousands of schools and contributed to countless books, articles, blog posts, and podcasts on the topic of educational innovations. He and Jeff explore the need for leaders to strategically shift their attention from political turmoil to innovative opportunities and systems for students. Prepare yourself for a fascinating conversation. Enjoy. Hello, everyone. My name is Jeff Rose, and welcome to today's Leader Chat. My job is to lead what we call our leadership circle. And in short, we are a community, a national and beyond community of superintendents, executive team members. Um, and the concept that we have is that leaders help leaders. So our model is very unique and very different. And this is one of the things that we do on a weekly basis to provide what we think is very pragmatic, important information that feeds the needs of our leaders as our job is to listen to what they are. Today is going to be a phenomenal conversation. You know, I have been uh, frustrated for a long time, like many educators, that our focus has been hijacked. In fact, educators who are in the arena as Roosevelt would say, focusing on supporting students. Um, many of them are navigating things that they just didn't sign up for. This is this, this COVID chaos, for example, this dramatic shift politically as that's invaded education is, is not impacting the person's why as to why they became a teacher, principal, superintendent, whatever that may be. And that is unfortunate. So today's conversation is to make an intentional shift. We do need to talk about innovation in schools. We can't just talk about surviving and how we navigate and manage the chaos. So that is exactly what today is about. So I'm thrilled and I'm excited and, and we have the perfect guest. Now today we're gonna be talking with Tom Vander Ark around focusing on innovative school designs. So Tom, um, and, and I've known him for a bit, um, he's an advocate for innovations and learning. He's the CEO of Getting Smart. He advises schools, districts, networks, foundations, and learning organizations on the path forward. A prolific writer and speaker, Tom is uh, the author of Getting Smart, Smart Cities that work for everyone, smart parents, better together, and the power of place. And he's published thousands of articles and papers. I was just talking to him earlier. He has, they have a podcast as well. And I think that they've well done well over 500 podcasts. Their content is really impressive. Um, and working with them side by side is even better. And I know from experience. Years ago, as a superintendent, we were designing what we wanted to be this very innovative place. So we got to work with Tom and his organization, and we went on a trip. We were actually in California visiting a number of really impressive schools. And so I got to know Tom uh, through that, um, and I've, I've been following them very intently ever since. So without further ado, let me welcome Tom to our screen and to our audio waves, Tom. I probably missed some things in your bio, but in the meantime, 
how have you been and how have things been for you the last, I don't know, couple of years? We haven't talked in a while. Jeff, it's great to see you. Um, as, as you know, I um, love visiting schools more than anything else. Um, I, I claim to have visited more high schools than anybody on the planet. And you and I have visited some great schools together. Um, well, all of that stopped in, uh, in, in 2020. Uh, and I went uh, 20, more than 20 months without um, being able to visit a school. It was, uh, it was really painful uh, missing uh, being with teachers and kids. And so I'm, I've been so excited the last few months to be able to re-engage uh, with schools around the country and uh, begin visiting them again. Um, but we, we stayed busy during the pandemic uh, trying to support system heads. Um, some of it was focused on just the, uh, the, the chaos of um, pandemic education of uh, how to quickly mobilize remote learning. Um, but then pretty quickly um, getting back to the business, even under new circumstances and new challenges of uh, engaging learners, particularly high school learners in uh, what we call real world learning. So I'm curious. So I, I didn't mention, but um, our, our listeners should know this, that you know, you were the, 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 I think, the first executive director, right, of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. You've been a superintendent yourself in Washington, federal way, I think, if I remember that correctly. And so, so maybe the last, you know, that 20-month that period where you had to watch from afar, where you're very used to kind of being in it and, you know, visiting high schools, how... You know, what were some of your observations and what did you learn along the way as it relates to leading Getting Smart? Yeah, it was interesting. Like, um, like everybody else, we, uh, we flipped to remote and we have a, a national team. And so for us, it, um, it wasn't too dramatic a shift to, to flip to remote learning because we do a lot of our work uh, that way. Um, I really miss the opportunity to be with with um, system heads and school heads um, in person. But uh, like many people, we started spending seven or eight hours a day on Zoom. Um, we we have the good fortune to work with about thirty systems in Kansas and Missouri on a big project called Real World Learning, and um, we we did weekly phone calls with those system heads. Um, and it quickly shifted to about half uh, just problem solving around how to re uh, run remote schools. And then we would shift back to uh, our focus on real world learning and try to help them problem solve around how, to, how do you do real world learning, but do it remote when suddenly the community is the, uh, the classroom. And so we, we have had the, the good fortune of working with uh, school systems in Kansas City and uh, nationally over the last two years, but under these uh, strange new circumstances of doing it mostly um, via via Zoom or teleconference. So in the meantime, it sounds like you had one foot in how uh, supporting the, the fact on how they make this shift that was just a needed shift, right? There's no choice in it, which probably has um, also some pros in, right? 
this concept that we were able to see a lot of change really fast, and then also trying to push the concept of let's still continue to think in an innovative way as opposed to just stay afloat. Did, did I read that correctly? You, you did. And Jeff, I, I guess I have to admit to being um, disappointed by how that shift to remote learning went nationally. I, I think there were a lot of us in, in 2019 sort of patting ourselves on the back for 20 years of advocacy uh, towards one-to-one uh, learning where every student is equipped with a connected device and on high-speed um, internet at school. Um, and I thought we were very, very close to achieving that goal across America. And then when the pandemic happened, um, many of us learned quickly that those systems weren't very robust and um, not all of those were take-home devices. And many systems didn't have um, shared learning platforms and well-developed um, blended, much less remote learning protocols in place. And then the big surprise for many of us is that uh, at least 20 million, uh, perhaps 30 million American families have um, really weak uh, access to internet um, and internet connected devices at home. And uh, so that spring of 2020 was, uh, was really heartbreaking in, in terms of how difficult it was for uh, so many systems and so many learners. It revealed a lot of cracks, didn't it? You know, the, I mentioned at the very beginning when I opened my concern over watching our attention uh, and focus on kids and teaching and learning being hijacked. Um, and some of those things are out of our control. Some of the things um, I just see that leaders sometimes are just treading water to survive, which right. also makes me sad. So uh, I'm curious, uh, in terms of moving maybe from COVID and this political conflict, what are your thoughts about how schools can re-engage and focus on this concept of innovative yeah. learning opportunities for students? Like, what are your hopes based upon what you're seeing? Well, let, let me first just say a word of thanks to all of the education leaders that are, that are listening to this. Um, I know the last two years have, have been the most difficult uh, of your careers and, and that you've, you've tried to figure out the logistics of remote learning um, and doing contact tracing at night. Um, this isn't work you signed up for, but the way you've been a, a guardian for your community, the way you've stewarded uh, the health and well-being of your teachers, your staff, and your students has been uh, just super inspiring. And so I, I deeply appreciate that. But secondly, I want to say that I'm, I'm really angry about the uh, distraction um, and the destruction that's um, been wrought on uh, education systems around the country by um, really malicious uh, people, um, often in an organized fashion. Um, and that has been really, really damaging, not just a distraction, but it's really been damaging uh, to the, the civic fabric uh, community by community and, and across America. And I, I'm sorry uh, for many of the leaders listening that, that you have had to 
encounter much of that. And, and thank you for continuing to sign up to do the system leadership uh, that you do. Um, the, the challenging work going ahead that many of you have taken on is that this pandemic has made it more important than ever uh, to reconsider our learning goals, uh, to really embrace whole child design principles, uh, really to pay attention to social emotional learning. And many of you um, have led community conversations in the midst of uh, pandemic education where you've moved social emotional learning and, and whole child principles really from the outside of your agenda to the, the heart of your agenda. Uh, and I think that is um, just such an important development. Um, we've seen hundreds and hundreds of school systems across America really put um, mental health and wellness and social emotional learning right at the heart of their agenda. Uh, and, and thanks to the, the leaders that um, have, have really embraced that. And even in the middle of chaos and reconsidered and, and re-articulated their uh, learning goals in an important way. I, I'm, I'm, I'm interested. I'm watching constantly this, um, this discourse that's, that's unfolding in front of us where there is this pressure due to what some call learning loss and yeah. this pressure to almost catch up right. and catch up to where we are uh, a system that we used to have, yeah. which is unfortunate because that system was not working for a lot of our students, as you know. So I find that to be um, interesting and quite the dilemma. While at the meantime, there's this incredible opportunity like you just described to take this opportunity because it creates ripe opportunity for change and shift it to social emotional learning, the concept right. on how do we focus on the whole child? How do we start to change the learning structures that support kids for their future, right? As opposed to the traditional systems of the past. It's this very interesting juxtaposition happening as it relates to the discussion and the actions of schools. And so I'm wondering if you have comments on just watching that unfold. Yeah, this is, uh, this is a tough issue, Jeff, um, because most American kids um, really did um, lose out in the pandemic. Uh, they, they missed uh, their teachers and their schools and, uh, and their friends and um, they really did suffer um, an academic loss. The, the challenge is that we've been trained in America for 20 years to only pay attention to grade level proficiency because that's what we test at the end of the year. And it really, uh, I, I think it's done damage um, this year is in uh, the last two years as, as students have come back to school. Um, it's created two problems. One is it, it's, it's put testing front and center instead of reconnecting with learners and paying attention to um, how kids are doing and um, rebuilding relationships, because that's the first and foremost uh, job. And then secondly, it's created this rush to push kids back into grade level content to try to catch up. 
when I think the this is a, a critical opportunity to try to meet learners where they are and try uh, to adjust our systems to be a bit more competency-based. So one reason this is important is that many learners didn't just uniformly um, fall behind this theoretical grade level proficiency. Um, they, they may have um, advanced in reading, but per, perhaps not in mathematics uh, at, a, at a high rate. And so uh, the real opportunity is to um, assess kids um, and try to meet them instructionally where they are and to build more uh, agile instructional models that can allow for a student to be at a sixth grade reading level and at a, a fourth grade math level. Um, I have not seen as much progress on this front of moving to mastery uh, as I had hoped to see over the last year. Uh, I think a lot of leaders are still preoccupied with um, the resumption of, you know, this testing around grade level proficiency. Um, I'm, I'm still hoping that um, more states and strong system leaders uh, take this opportunity to, to move to more of a mastery based system that really does a better job of meeting kids where they are. Last, uh, one quick comment that I want to add is that I, I love the well-intentioned effort to provision time and support for kids that need it most. That's positive. Um, however, I, I'm worried that a lot of that is turning into uh, cram sessions, into, into low-level tutoring that's just not um, very beneficial. Um, it's like a, a, a worse version of, uh, of the old version of school. Um, and I'm, I'm hoping to see more and more rich learning experiences provided uh, for the students that missed out on rich learning experiences. So yes to more time and support for kids that need it, but there's a great opportunity for system leaders to try to push that towards um, rich learning experiences that are engaging and uh, beneficial in a, in a whole child sense. So Here's the dilemma, because I, I find myself shaking my head as you're talking, and I, I don't want to be uh, depressing to listeners, but the, the concern is what you just said. So I, I see the same. I see then we're adding resource, we're adding support, we're sometimes even using um, really an opportunity, a financial opportunity that all of our schools are facing across this country that they've never had before. And we're almost like, how do we rush backwards? <laughs> how do we push kids? And you're right, we're extending time, but we're also really focusing on how they learn at a faster rate according to an old model and standards that maybe we wouldn't have chosen if we had the choice to start over in the beginning, I mean, to begin with. So um, I'm really nervous about this, and I hope that somehow, some way, we can have the strength or the endurance to stand up and shift the conversation yeah. that we need to do it differently, not the old way faster. Yeah. Jeff, what, what encourages me is that leaders around the country, in fact, around the world, that 
um, take the time and have the courage to host community conversations about what what's important now. What should kids know and be able to do um, in well-resourced communities and in low-resourced communities in this country and abroad are, are building uh, new learning goals. Sometimes they're called a, a learner profile or a a portrait of a graduate, um, check out portraitofagraduate.org for a gallery of hundreds of examples where system heads have hosted community conversations that led to new learning goals. And I think that's critical uh, to, and and I think it almost always works that even in, in politically um, divided communities, you can create new learning goals that create space and permission for rich learning experiences, those kind of experiences that really um, value the, the whole child that are engaging and that really build leadership and problem solving. The, the two skills that I'm um, most excited about, the, the personal agency to know where and how to act on the world and, and then building repetitions in complex problem solving and stepping into big complicated problems and looking for ways to deliver value to a community. Um, you can only create space for that, uh, that kind of work if you create a set of community agreements around um, updated learning goals and what kids should know and be able to do. So thank you for shifting the conversation from me just whining and uh, inventing to what we can maybe do about it. So you mentioned the importance and I, I agree in fact of how we engage the community. Um, in fact, we have some upcoming guests specifically designed uh, to help leaders with that. Um, as you know, leaders are exhausted and tired. So knowing that's the case, uh, is there any other advice or thoughts or strategies building off the concept of meeting and engaging with the community specific to what we want to create for kids? Um, what are you seeing? Because you see just about every innovation I can imagine because your experience and exposure. So what other, you know, words of wisdom or things would you have leaders think about on how to move forward? So um, the, first of all, take, take whatever uh, opportunity you can to, to update your learning goals. Um, even if you have to do virtual engagement with your community, um, try to create that space to, to, communicate a new sense of priorities. And then number two, um, a commitment to distributed leadership um, and looking for leaders within your system who can and will lead in new ways. Um, it's, a, it's a time when it's difficult to do whole systems change because uh, everybody's exhausted. But it's, it's uh, inspiring to me that in the most challenging circumstances all over the country, there are teachers and teacher leaders that um, want to change, that want to create new learning experiences, that want to create new learning environments. And so in the 30 systems that we work with in Kansas City, we're seeing um, micro schools and new academies being created. So... Maybe, maybe a whole school's not ready to move to rich learning experiences, but you can create a, a school within a school or a, a micro school 
maybe you can use a, a an annex or a building next door where you can create a, a small academy where teachers that are ready to move with a group of kids that are uh, ready to rock uh, can create a picture of the future. And we've just found uh, over and over again that these um, these these micro schools or new learning academies um, can be a, a demonstration of what's possible and can really reinvigorate uh, progress ac across a system. Um, Liberty Public Schools just north of Kansas City created a couple of these micro schools inside their high school and we've had the chance to visit those and they're just um, super inspiring picture of the future. Um, so give permission uh, to teacher teams that are uh, that are ready to move. Um, but just like for uh, kids, meeting kids where they are and giving them the grace of, uh, of, of space, um, we need to do the same thing for teachers. We need to take care of our teachers and um, and create the space for the those teacher teams that are uh, ready to move more quickly. So this brought up a couple of questions based upon what you just thought that I'm curious about. Number one, um, you mentioned almost how do we support and start with the willing, right? Because there are some teachers and educators that for some reason have the capacity right now to lean in to right. some, some new strategies. And you said, and let's pair them up with the kids ready to rock. Now, I know how you're going to answer this, but I want you to answer it for the listeners too, because sometimes we assume the kids ready to rock are the ones who don't need this remediation and catch up and how yeah. do we cram. How can you help us understand that kids ready to rock doesn't mean that the kids that, you know what, they've already met grade level, so let's put them into something kind of innovative and cool. Yeah. Help us, help us, help our listeners understand that. I, like, I've seen it with you, but help, help them understand that. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great it's a great question. Um, a, a different way to put this is how do you innovate with equity? Um, be, because what I, what I just described of starting a cool academy for high-flying kids um, could exacerbate inequity in your system as opposed to uh, creating more, uh, more equity in the system. So uh, two, two quick thoughts. One is the innovation that you're proposing, whether it's a new program or a new academy, or maybe it's a new summer experience, you have to design that with equity in mind. So that, that means um, recruiting um, students most likely to benefit, maybe students that um, have struggled most in, uh, in the last two years. And so being really um, equity-minded about the way you design the program, about the outreach for the program, about enrollment, transportation, and location, uh, so that that kids that would most benefit from the program uh, are involved in it. And then number two is innovating with scale in mind of, of beginning right from the, the time you launched the first experiment uh, around rich learning experiences, thinking about if this goes as well as we think it will, how do we take it to scale? What's the next location? And then how do we flip this entire school? Then how do we go to the next school? But trying to do as much of that on an invitational basis as you can, where you invite schools into the change process by providing um, 
personalized learning for them, right? Meeting them where they are, providing them strong support, inviting them into the into the innovation um, as they're uh, as they're ready to move. But it means thinking about the innovation with equity at first, and then thinking about scaling uh, for equity second. You mentioned the the concept of distributed leadership, and now might be the right time for us to think about how leaders do that, right? Rather than take it all on their shoulders. Oh. Um, well, it's funny because I'm a career long educator, you know, teacher all the way through superintendent a few times over. Since stepping out of that role, and now I have a little bit space and capacity to study and to read and to reflect. I look back and think, you know what? Part of the problem may have been that I was nothing but an educator as it relates to leading complex systems. Yeah. You, on the other hand, you've seen, you've seen it all. You haven't, not, you, you haven't just been an educator. You've been in private and public sector. What are your thoughts right now relative to the leader of the future, especially yeah. being that you know, we have like 25% turnover of superintendents and we're fearful for what's coming? So how do we think in a hopeful way about the leader of the future and maybe the new skill set that they may require beyond just being a traditional educator? Yeah, um, I love that question, Jeff. Um, well, good, because I just made it up. So well, let, me, let, me, <laughs> let me answer in a, in a couple of ways. The, the, the first is a, there's, there's a super tactical um, strategy that I want to mention. This is team, team-based staffing. We're really excited about a couple of national initiatives that are promoting team-based staffing. One that's been around for 10 years called Opportunity Culture, uh, opportunityculture.org from Public Impact has been promoting um, lead teachers and uh, teaching teams um, in a distributed leadership system. We think that's a super important structure. It provides a lot of support for new teachers it creates a space where pre-service teachers can step in. It creates a space where um, community members can step in and support a teacher team. Um, so they've been a, an important leader in that space. The second is here in Phoenix, uh, Arizona State University has the Next Workforce Initiative. And this is a beautiful example of preparing teachers in teams for schools that are staffed in teams. And so... Um, we think there's a really important direction. What happened during the pandemic, Jeff, is I, I think of it as the end of teaching as an uh, individual practitioner profession. Because for 200 years, we've teachers have had a lot of autonomy within the classroom. But because um, everybody had to join, uh, had to use a common learning platform, typically a common set of uh, blended learning protocols and a, and a common curriculum, we're suddenly all um, now on a team. And um, we think that's a, a productive shift uh, to, to teaching in teams, but this is a place where leaders can delegate more to teacher teams, maybe not individuals, but to teacher teams that can uh, operate with more, uh, more autonomy. The, the second part of your question is um, we, we need to find uh, new ways to create uh, more breadth where school leaders and system heads 
have the opportunity to do externships uh, to visit different kinds of uh, different kinds of organizations and to look at the problems that they're facing, um, how they frame those problems, how they turn them into projects, how they staff and resource uh, those projects so that they become uh, students of change leadership um, and see enough reps in um, different settings uh, that they, one, uh, create a new vision for what powerful learning looks like, and then number two, uh, an enhanced vision of how to mobilize a change uh, effort in a in a productive and agile sort of way. So th- this is hard to do, Jeff, because it, it means days out of the building or days out of the uh, district. Um, this is something that you might want to do with a board member where you take a, a board member with you and go visit your local business um, or where um, a few teachers and a, and a superintendent or cabinet member uh, go visit a, a business uh, or where you take a, a few high school students and go visit um, a, a business. But we think that's just critically important to gain um, access to what's happening in the world because um, things are changing super, super quickly. Um, last thing on this, we're just really excited about the work that's happening in Kansas City because a set of community agreements around real-world learning has mobilized 600 business partners. And what's happening there is that school leaders and superintendents are spending more time in businesses and the business people are spending more time in schools. Uh, students are doing um, uh, internships um, at, a, at a very, very high rate. Students are taking on client-connected projects. And so we're seeing just much more... Um, connection between schools, um, businesses, and civic organizations as a result of this uh, regional initiative. And that, that gives me a sense of hope that we can, we can do this sort of thing um, region by region across the country. This, this focus and this concept on team, it, it, it aligns in so many ways to what our leadership circle is about. In fact, this leader chat that we're doing right now is the only thing we do as it relates to pushing out nothing but content. The vast, all of our support systems are aligned to leaders helping leaders where I nor um, our entity is, we are not the sage on the stage. Our job is connective tissue so that leaders can help each other with complex nuanced dilemmas and challenges. in fact, next month, or I guess it's this month, we're having what's called an unconference um, in Nashville, and it's a one-day event where our members come and they engage. We do a 15-85 model. We only talk at them for 15% of the time. 85% of the time, we say circles are better than rows. This is what we stole from my pastor, and then we walk them through protocols where they're helping each other, right? So assuming you and I were at a table, if we can almost pretend a round table with leaders, um, superintendents, you know, executive superintendent, executive directors, a variety of positions trying to lead school systems. What would be your kind of the brass tacks? Um, I have one piece of advice for you. Um, 
what would you what would you want to tell them before kind of exiting that circle? Um, can can I uh, take two? Yep. <laughs> maybe maybe the go for it. The, uh, what I'd most hope for their kids is that they um, give teachers space and permission to co-create rich learning experiences, particularly uh, community-connected projects that result, you know, work that's important to kids and the community that results in public products, the kind of work that a student will remember 20 years from now. So anything you can do to create room and permission and support for that kind of work. That's number one. Um, and number two, you have to take care of yourself. Um, you have to take care of yourself and the people that you, uh, that you work with. Um, this has been such a draining uh, three-year period um, that it's just a really good time to remember to stay healthy uh, and to take care of the people that you work with. Um, we can't create whole child learning environments unless we create whole teacher um, support environments. And uh, that starts with leaders that understand that their own um, wellness and well-being is, uh, is critically important and that's been taxed uh, recently. So take care of yourself and the, the people that you work with. Tom, um, I've, I've really valued our time and it's, it's generous of you to, to give this time to us. I know um, I've taken actually a lot of notes and now you've given me new things to research and lean into. Um, so I'm, I'm excited about that and I I promise our paths will cross again really soon. And um, um, thank you for all of your work and, and helping us focus on actually what is the most important thing. So know that you're appreciated. Thanks, Jeff. Take care. Okay. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, um, that was awesome. That was fantastic. And uh, to be able to just spend a little time, 35 minutes, focusing on the things that we're actually excited about, the things that you know, motivate us to sign up for this work in the first place, um, it's, it's a gift, especially at a time like this. And we thank Tom Vanderark and Getting Smart for everything that they're doing. In the meantime, leaders, be well.